Good morning, church family. Is this a great morning or what? Fun to be together, fun to see the Hadeen family. Welcome to them. Uh, our kids are off to an exciting day in children's ministry. So K through five are taking a dad or a grandpa or an uncle or a special family friend with them to just do some manly things, I think. So that's pretty exciting. Uh, before I begin, I want to show you a picture that's applicable in a couple of ways this morning. So here's a picture coming. There it is. This is a picture that's appropriate for me to show this morning and, uh, for two different reasons. First of all, that's me on the left. This picture is circa 1998, 1999. Uh, for those, some of you in the room, you need to know if you're not uh, familiar with the 90s, that's what came before the year 2000. This is the staff of Escalon Covenant Church when I was a youth pastor uh, a long time ago, and uh, that's the rest of our staff team. And the uh, first reason I wanted to show that picture this morning is because before we get into this uh, teaching time, I do want to update you on the fact that we are asking God to show us who our next youth pastor is, because it won't be me. I'm quite content doing what I'm doing. Thank you very much. So we are looking to hire a new uh, worship, uh, no, worship pastor. We got that done. No, youth pastor. And uh, so you can be praying with us. We've had uh, lots of applications from some great qualified people all over the country. The search team that you met last Sunday, and there's information in your bulletin about the search team. They are already hard at work narrowing the pool of applicants uh, down a bit. Just this very afternoon and tomorrow, we will begin some video chat brief interviews. So be praying for the surge team, be praying for the candidates, and be praying uh, for God's clear direction in that process. That's exciting. And the other reason that I put that picture up there is because the lead pastor I served with, who's on the right, got to come visit us this morning. He's right over here. <laughs> so that's fun. So welcome, Brian and Linda. Fun to have you with us. And uh, now let's get started here as we um, want to hear from God and his word this morning. Um, Pastor Matt uh, spoke a few minutes ago as he introduced a new song that he had uh, brought this new song to our attention and wanted to introduce the, the new song to us this morning as part of this new teaching series that we're doing. And, and it's a song that really fits our teaching series, and so we'll be enjoying it some more. Uh, and it's also a song that resonates really deeply with me as I, as I um, strive to, to walk with Jesus in the midst of life and the ups and downs of life and, and how uh, this song helps me speak to my heart and speak with the Lord. And so some of what we sang there is on the screen. I've seen you move, speaking to God. You move the mountains. And I believe I'll see you do it again. If we're at the bottom, if we're in the pits, if we're at the bottom of the roller coaster, so to speak, we, we can say to God, I believe I'll see you do it again. You made a way where there was no way. And we also sing, your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. It's a good, good, good place to start here this morning. Good place for us to kind of focus our attention, put, kind of put those words in our hearts as we start. Because life includes a lot of difficulty, doesn't it? Life includes pain and suffering and trial and, and the impact of sin in the world and the forces of evil at work disrupting things and, and trying to take our attention away from, from God. And, and, uh, and as you think of that, perhaps things are coming to your mind. I pray that you are doing well and that life is, is okay and relatively smooth right now and that you can enjoy 
uh, life and, and family and friends and, and, and walking with God. I, I hope that is the case, but I know for many of you, as I speak these kinds of things, you think of the ways that your life is experiencing some difficulty and pain. Um, for me, that's looked a lot of different ways, right? And I could, I could go into a lot of detail, but I could instead give you a short version. You know, when I was very little, my family life took a turn that I would not have chosen. But God has never failed me. A few years later, the sin of another person um, inflicted lots of pain and, and suffering into my life. But God is faithful and brings healing. In my 20s, I found myself mired in sin, stuck on repeat, um, hurting myself and others, and God didn't let me go. God kept coming after me to change me, to make me more like Jesus. My family and I have experienced medical scares, uh, medical scares that, that felt like a dead end, but God made a way. Sometimes my responsibilities and the things that God has put on my plate feel like an overwhelming burden, but God never fails. He carries me through. He reminds me, he loves me, he reminds me that he is with me. And even, even when things don't turn out the way I'd prefer, you with me on that? Even when the way things go differently than I would hope or prefer, I know God is with me. And every time, now do you relate to this? With some of those difficulties and pain and trials in life, every time I get through those things and I look back and I see God's goodness and his faithfulness, every time I get through those things, I say I'll never forget. Right? I'll keep trusting God. Look what he did this time. I'll remember that God is good, that I can trust him, that he knows best. I say I won't forget, but I do. And so recently again, I find myself in a very difficult season, the feeling of, 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 of stuck on repeat. I weep and I cry out to God. How long, O oh Lord? I complain sometimes in those prayers. I complain, sometimes demand to know why and how long. Do you relate? Habakkuk does too. The prophet Habakkuk does too. So we're in a new series of messages teaching uh, through the book of Habakkuk in your Old Testament. And we've titled the series, How Long? Let me open your Bibles if you haven't already. Uh, love when you bring your Bible with you or open your uh, Bible app on your favorite device and find the book of Habakkuk. There is no shame in using the table of contents, friends. Because it's okay if you have zero idea where Habakkuk is. And here's, we're going to help you on the screen a little bit, though. I want you to turn to Habakkuk chapter 1. And there's a few books that's before Habakkuk. And there's a few books of the Bible that are after Habakkuk. Okay, it's at the end, it's at the end of the Old Testament portion of your Bible. If you're familiar with the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, James, go left a few books. Okay? And you're going to find Habakkuk stuck in the middle of those books that you see on your screen. So turn in your Bibles to Habakkuk chapter 1. I'm going to give you a moment to find it, and then we're going to read through a few verses together. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you, violence, 
and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Father God, as always, and and even more than ever, we need you to speak to our hearts and lives. So we look to you this morning as we open your word, and we hear these words of the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk, his honesty, his crying out, his, his wonderings of what he's dealing with, what he's seeing, and what you are up to. God, we pray that as we uh, study your word this morning, that you would help us to see how we can love you and trust you even when life is hard. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 1, verse 1 then starts off with the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. So Habakkuk is this Old Testament prophet, this messenger of God who would be used by God to deliver messages to his people. And and the word there at the beginning, it says the oracle. This is an oracle or a message through the prophet to God's people. And, And also though, the word that's translated there in some of our Bibles, oracle, does anybody have a different word than oracle? Burden, because the word oracle is translated from a Hebrew word that means, that means burden. And so by using this, when Habakkuk says, here is the burden that I saw, here is the burden that I need to pass on to you, by using that word Habakkuk indicates that this is not something he's making up. And, and in fact, if we know the message that he needs to deliver to God's people, if we know the reality check that he has to deliver to God's people, he is likely not a big fan of having to deliver this message. Because the message that he has from God to deliver to God's people is going to be hard to hear. It's going to result in judgment against Habakkuk's people, God's people. So, so this weighs heavily on Habakkuk. This is the burden. This message that God has given him to deliver is a, is a burden. It weighs heavily on him. And, and what's, what, what do we do when something's weighing on us, when it's a burden? We, we want to be rid of it. Habakkuk knows that he needs to honor God and give the message that he's been given, but it's a burden. So being a prophet sounds like an easy job, right? You're all ready to rush out and sign up for the gig of being a prophet so you can deliver those messages really easily. Okay. Well, here's what's interesting about Habakkuk. Other, other uh, Old Testament pro- prophet books, old book, uh, other Old Testament books by other prophets Um, Unlike those other books, in this book, Habakkuk isn't even directly addressing God's people. So many of the other writings are the prophet having a message from God, speaking it directly to God's people. And instead, in Habakkuk, we find a conversation. We find ourselves as a fly on the wall, perhaps, getting to listen to this conversation between the prophet Habakkuk and God. We, we see comments from Habakkuk. We see a response from God. We see comments from Habakkuk. We see a response from God. And then later in the series, as we continue to study through this book, um, we see a vision. Habakkuk describes a vision of God. So let's look at verse 2. As this conversation begins, verse 2 is Habakkuk speaking. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? 
and you will not hear? How long will I cry to you, violence, and you will not save? So what's going on here? What's the setting? What is Habakkuk crying out for? Help from what? What violence does he need to be saved from? Well, the historical background here for you, and, and if I had to sum it up really briefly here, we'll put a, a time, timeline on the screen for you. In the history of God's people, on the left-hand side there, under those kings, Saul, David, Solomon, the kingdom of God's people was united and then there came a split, what we call the split kingdom. And because of a change of leadership and, 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 and differences, the kingdom split into, you see, Israel, the northern kingdom on the top part of the slide, and, and Judah, the southern kingdom, there is on the bottom part of the slide. And the prophets then, uh, a lot of the prophet books, including Habakkuk, uh, we, think, we believe is you know, somewhere taking place, the events taking place late in the 600s B.C., uh, as the Babylonian invasion is, is on the horizon. The Babylonians have not yet, uh, you can see on the top that the northern kingdom has already fallen to the Assyrians and, and God's people are dispersed. And where we find Habakkuk writing is the, the, the southern kingdom of Judah is still intact, but perhaps not for long because of the threat of the Babylonian empire. Judah had turned away from God Judah was uh, led by these series of evil kings, and in, in, in this poor leadership period, had the, the people of God had largely turned from God. They were, uh, there was much uh, spiritual deterioration and moral decay in the society. We could go on and on, but the things that God's people were doing at this time included worshiping Baal, a false god. Um, uh, what else we got? Where did my notes go? Sacrificing their children to another false god named Molech. Uh, this period of time included desecrating the temple with, uh, with all kinds of, 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 of heinous acts and, and, and desecration. And so this is the situation that Habakkuk finds himself in, is, is, is one of the few that are wanting to follow God and wanting to lead those that are following God to stay true to him and not to be taken into this mess of violence and, and doom. Verse 3, look with me again at verse 3. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise. Habakkuk's society was ugly, cruel, a vicious society. There were quarrels and confrontation and aggression. The prophet Amos had warned the northern kingdom. Remember we saw in the graphic the northern kingdom, Israel. The prophet Amos had warned Israel that in their injustice, that their, that their sin would bring judgment. And in 722 BC, Assyria swept the northern kingdom away. Now, as we read Habakkuk, we find the southern kingdom of Judah, 130 years later, guilty of the same things, falling into the same sins, getting sucked into the culture, into violence and destruction and strife and contention. They had not learned anything. They had seen the northern kingdom, Israel, swept away by the Assyrian Empire. And now they face, they're guilty of the same things and they face the same uh, outcome. In my time, in my life, there are times when God feels silent, when it seems that God is silent. Do you relate to that? 
And perhaps that's what's going on with Habakkuk here. God, what is all this about? Why are we dealing this? Why does it seem like you just look at what's going on and then look away? Why, why do you see wrong, God, and, and, and do nothing? There's times in life, I think, that we may feel God seems silent, that he's not answering. And so it, this passage of Scripture is, is really pretty interesting compared to a lot of types of Scripture that we study. This, this passage of Scripture is really a lament, a, an honest complaint. A lament is an expression of sorrow or an expression of grief. God, I'm grieved. I'm sorrowful. These things are painful. This is the hardship I'm going through. And, 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 and there's some pretty brutal honesty here from Habakkuk too, complaining about the situation and, and what he perceives as God's inactivity. So we have this unique opportunity to study a lament and this conversation back and forth between God. Look again at verses two and three. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for your help and you do not hear? And why? Verse three, why do you make me see iniquity and why do you look idly at wrong? Let's think about the, the, the theme phrase of our series, how long? That's one of the things that Habakkuk just said, right? How long? What's, what's behind how long? When Habakkuk cries out, how long? When you and I cry out to God, how long is this gonna go on? How long do I have to deal? What's underneath that? I think what's underneath that is I don't know how much more I can take. God, I don't know how much more I can take. How long? And when we ask why, when our prayers, when our laments, our honest complaints ask why, what's underneath the why? We think we've got to have reasons. We think we, down here, looking up at the almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, we think we need reasons. We think we need answers. We want God to explain himself. Why? But isn't that true? Isn't it true? Don't, don't we sometimes perhaps think this, that if I could just get an explanation from God, right? If he would just explain himself to me, if I just knew what he was up to, then, then I'm sure I could tolerate more, right? If God would just explain to me what he's up to, my patience, I'm sure, would go, would go further, would last longer. I'd certainly be more patient and understanding of the things I see around me and the difficulties I'm going through. And, and it would be so much easier for me if God, would you just tell me Why? And in this passage, Habakkuk is disappointed that God doesn't seem to be answering his prayers. Habakkuk sees what's going around him. It's awful to watch. God's people are straying away from him. And Habakkuk seems disappointed because it doesn't seem like God is answering his prayers. Um, we talked about that word lament. And, uh, and Pastor Matt and I had a good conversation here in the recent couple of weeks about Thinking through, our, thinking through the songs that we have to worship through music, to lift up God. And we talked about how it's not very common in our musical selections to have lament. It's not many of our worship through music songs, our, our lyrics, our words, our heart of lament, of complaint. Probably would be pretty depressing. <laughs> right? And yet, and yet here we have in the Bible, it modeled for us as a godly person, someone who loves God and wants to follow God, is lamenting. 
is, is crying out. We can lament. We can be honest with God. We can express our sorrow. We can express our confusion. Verse 3 says again, why do you idly look at wrong? And, and this, is, this is one of the phrases in this verses that we're studying this morning that jumped out at me. Habakkuk says, why, God, do you idly look at wrong? Why, it seems like he's asking, you know, why is sin going unpunished? Why aren't you doing anything? I don't see action. I don't see a, you know, in Habakkuk's opinion, I don't see a proper God response here. Justice uh, it doesn't seem to be going forth. But I think what struck me about this phrase so much, why do you idly look at wrong? I, I, I think there's assumptions there, aren't there? Isn't there perhaps a faulty assumption on Habakkuk's part? Perhaps there's a faulty assumption that God doesn't care or that God doesn't see or that God is not acting. But does he know? Does he really know what God sees, is doing, how he's acting? I, I think there's assumption there. And so I think we need to be careful. I think that you and I, following God, we can lament. We can be honest. We can express our sorrow and our grief and our prayers. We can cry out our complaints even. God can take it. God is big. He loves us. He knows that we are human. I think we can lament. But perhaps we should be careful not to assume that we know what God is or is not up to. Look at verse four. Let's keep going here. Look at verse four. So the law is paralyzed, he says to God. The law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth for the wicked surround the righteous and justice goes forth perverted. So another really sad disturbing result of the, of the moral and spiritual decay of the time of God's people turning away from him, of them being sucked into these other practices and, the, and these, these evils and these consequences of sin. Another really sad and disturbing result of that, uh, of, of that deterioration of society is that the law, he says, the law is paralyzed. The law is not working. God's people have rejected his laws. The law is not accomplishing God's purpose. The law is not being fulfilled. It's not being carried out. It's not, it's not having the results that God intends through, the, through, the, through putting in his law. And so Habakkuk cries out, the law is paralyzed. People are doing their own thing. Instead of looking to and obeying God, people are doing their own thing instead of looking to God. Now, we have the benefit this morning, you and I, as we come to God's word, we're reading the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk, who lived hundreds of years before Christ. But we, this morning, gathered faith, church, family, this is exciting, this is helpful for us, this is good for us, because we have the benefit of the whole story of the Bible. We have the, we have the benefit of knowing of the arrival of Jesus. We have the benefit of knowing the continued story of God's rescue plan that's revealed to us in the New Testament part of our Bible. It is sad that Habakkuk writes that the law is paralyzed. It, it, is, it is awful to think about the situation that Habakkuk found himself in where he says the law is paralyzed. It's not having its effect. It's, it's, it's not accomplishing God's purposes. People are doing their own thing. They're looking their own way. They're rejecting God. They're going against God. 
That is a difficult thing, but here's something we need to remember. The law was never supposed to save. God's law was never supposed to save us from sin and death, to, to make us, to bring us into the kingdom of God. The law makes us aware of our sin. Knowing God's laws makes us aware of our sin and our need for him. The law points us toward a life that honors God. We, we see, we read God's laws, we, we study our Bibles, and that reveals a need in us, and it also points us to a life that honors God. But obeying the law, obeying the law doesn't save us. Obeying the law doesn't make us right with God. Look at the New Testament verse, Galatians 3 on the screen. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came. The law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Friends, the good news of the gospel is that God rescues sinners like you and me through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The good news is that the law was never intended to save, that obeying the rules is not what saves you, is not what gets your sins forgiven, is not what makes you right with God. But that verse on the screen tells us that when Jesus came, we might be justified, we may be made right, we may our relationship with a holy and perfect God can be reconciled, sinful and broken and rebellious. You and I can be justified, made right with God through faith, through trusting in Jesus, through realizing we can't do it on our own, through, through setting ourselves aside, through, through realizing that we've gone astray, that we're doing our own thing and that we've gone against God and instead turning to Jesus and putting our trust in him and finding that the law was our guardian until Christ came so that we could be justified through Jesus. Amen? The gospel is good news. But so Habakkuk found himself in this situation looking around at the violence and the, and the destruction and the, and the pain and the straying and the rebellion. And he saw that people were doing their own thing instead of looking to God. And Habakkuk feels like things are getting even worse because God is not acting. We already, we already said that we relate to situations where perhaps we feel like God is absent, where perhaps our perception is that God is not answering our prayers. And Habakkuk feels like things are getting even worse because God isn't acting. What is true for you when difficult things happen? How do we feel? When horrible things happen, when, our, when the consequences of our sin bring difficult circumstances, when, when the sin of others brings difficult circumstances, when the forces of evil are disruptive and the world is chaotic and we see, we cry out violence and we wonder how long and we ask God why, how do we respond? How do our hearts respond? How do, how do we tend to feel? Well, I think understandably, we, we feel confusion, despair, even anger. Anyone? Or just me? Anger, frustration, despair. We look around and we don't know what's going on and that can be the result and when life is painful and when things are not as we hoped. How do we respond to God? We have an opportunity here in this, in this series as we study Habakkuk in this conversation. Habakkuk crying out, 
God responding, Habakkuk crying out, God responding. We have an opportunity in this series as we study God's word to, to wrestle ourselves with how we respond to God and to ask God to, to show us how we can respond to him. In our anger, do we dare to blame the holy and perfect, all-powerful God of the universe? In our confusion, in our sorrow, in our suffering, might we want to blame God? You're not acting. I don't see you responding. You're looking at at wrong things and, and just turning the other way. Do we blame the God of the universe? Do we treat him like a punching bag? Do we make faulty assumptions about him? Do we question or judge his ability to be God? Do we we look at our circumstances and think we should know the way forward and the way it should go and what the result should be? And so then we question or even judge that God knows what he's doing, that God is God. That is one option. That is one way we could respond to difficulty in our life is, is blame and questioning and not letting God be God. But just because that's a normal human response, I don't think that makes that the best response. Do we blame or do we count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness? Do we blame, do we question, do we point fingers, Do we make faulty assumptions that God knows what he's doing or doesn't know what he's doing or acts the way he should or is not acting the way he should? Or could we do this? And this doesn't come easy. I think responding this way would be an act of God in our hearts and lives. I think God transforming me from the inside out, making me a new person, giving me a new heart, new mind, new attitudes. That'll be the only way that as God continues to grow and grow and uh, change me, as I continue to grow in Jesus and God continues to transform me and as God continues to work in your life, that is the way I think this response could come. That instead of blaming, that we would find ourselves in difficulties, that we would cry out how long, that we would be honest about wondering why, but then we could count it all joy when we face trials because we know that the testing of our faith produces steadfastness. Steadfastness is, is, is steadiness, is enduring, is faithfulness that endures, is growing in our faith. Do we want to ask God to help us grow in Jesus and trust him more and obey him more and follow him more in our lives such that even in the face of evil, even in the face of brokenness and difficulty and pain and chaos in life, that we would, that we would find joy, that we would trust in him and that our faith would be increased. Uh, again, I find myself in a difficult season of life and, and seem to be stuck on repeat. And I know some of you relate to, to difficulties and to trials and, and, and to asking those questions. Are, and, and, and I'll ask you are, you, are you or have you ask how long? Have you or are you currently asking why? What do we do next? Will we blame or will we put our trust in God? Will I continue to weep and to cry out how long? Will I continue to complain and demand for an answer? Will I continue to to expect God to explain himself to me? Or will I lean into what I know is true about God? What I have experienced over and over again. 
will I lean into what I know of God, that great is his faithfulness, and that I've been in the pit before, and that he's been with me, that he works all things out according to our good and his glory. Father God, we, we need you. Father God, we first just this morning thank you of the, of the gospel good news that comes to us through your son. Father, we thank you for the cross where sinful and rebellious me can be made right with a holy and perfect you. God, we thank you for your son, for Jesus coming to live among us, to show us the way to you. We thank you for his sacrificial death and his glorious resurrection from the dead that shows that we too can have new life in you. Father, we thank you for the gospel good news that you, our great and holy God, our loving heavenly Father, forgives sin and rescues sinners through Jesus. We thank you, God, that you are a God who sees us, who knows us, and yes, who does hear us. God, even when we feel like you may be absent, even when we're not sure where you are, even when we don't understand what you are doing, God, you see us. You know us, you hear us. So God, as we, even as we cry out, even as we weep, even as we lament, even as we express our sorrow and our grief and our confusion and our, and our, and our, our, our poor understanding to you, God, would you change us? Would you mold us and shape us? Would you use our circumstances to bring about increased faith? Would you help us to endure the difficulties that are in front of us so that we might increase our trust in you. Because your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. You've never failed us yet. So Father, as the ushers come now to receive our offerings, I pray that we would not only offer our financial gifts, I pray that not only would we lift up our prayers, I pray that not only would we sing boldly and confidently, of your greatness, but God, I pray that we would bring our whole selves before you. I pray that we would offer our whole selves in worship this morning, these few minutes, but with our whole lives. God, would you teach us to submit ourselves to you, to humble ourselves before you, to look to you for all we need, knowing that you are at work for our good and your glory. God, this morning we offer our whole selves in worship of you. We want our lives to be not about us, but all about you. All that we do and say for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.